I actually didn't want to participate in Innsbruck. <laughs> I told everyone that I'm not going to do Innsbruck and that I'm going to skip a comp because I have to train because I'm like so weak. Um, and then I don't know. I think there was back to back back uh, World Cups like um, right the next weekend was Innsbruck. And then I think on Wednesday or so I decided that I'm going to go to Innsbruck as well. But I was very close to not going there. Podiums, an audio exploration of climbing World Cups from previous years and previous eras. I'm your host, John Bergman. I'm glad you're here. Let's talk some comp climbing. Welcome to another episode of Past Podiums, a really special episode today, and an episode that I am so excited to bring to you. As you know, if you've been along on our episodic journey so far, we just finished chronicling the IFSC's 2013 Boulder World Cup season. And that season, really above all else, above all all the subplots and the smaller storylines, it was marked by two aspects, and aspects that dovetail together for obvious reasons. On the one hand, one of those aspects, that season had Anastor winning multiple events in a row. And in watching her do that, we just really got to see the making of Anastor's legend, the reason she is so highly regarded historically, and rightly so. We got to see the pieces of that, the pieces of her masterful comp career being put together in real time throughout that 2013 season. But the other aspect was Anastor was going for a season sweep of that 2013 circuit, and ultimately, Germany's Eula Verm wins that season's World Cup in Innsbruck, Austria. Anna Stor ends up placing second. So, in winning, Eula Verm creates this masterful performance in her own right, and a performance that I think in a lot of ways helps give Eula Verm's career the legendary gloss as well. So, as we concluded that season, I figured I'll reach out to Eula Verm and just see if she's up for sharing some specific memories of it. I know and you know what it was like to watch as fans, but what was it like for Eula, who was a part of it, who played such a crucial role in crafting a narrative arc to that 2013 season and making it such an epic story of a season. Eula Verm was kind enough to agree to talk, to spare some time, to offer some recollections, and just kind of indulge this interest that I have, that you listening have, that we all share in not only that 2013 season, but past World Cup seasons beyond that. So we circled up on a call 
we started talking about her initial interest in climbing and then from there her entry onto the World Cup stage. And we just let things go more or less chronologically through her career from there. Sincerest thanks to Eula for sharing some memories. I hope all of you listening enjoyed this chat as much as I enjoyed having it with her. So without further ado, here is a conversation with past World Cup gold medalist, among other comp circuit accolades. But those, are, those will be discussions for a different day, a different episode. Here is Germany's Eula Verm. I read that you first started climbing at a birthday party when you were 10 years old. And yeah, that's right. Huh? Yeah. So I'm curious to hear if you could just reflect on that moment. Kind of, I mean, it would change your life eventually, right? And so I'm curious to hear what you remember about that spark from, from that birthday party. <laughs> yeah. So that's right, Presti. Um, I started climbing after. I actually celebrated my own birthday party in a climbing gym. So my parents organized that. It was like my 10th birthday. Um, and at that exact day, there was a coach there in this climbing gym. Um, and he asked me if I wanted to join the, his kids group. Um, and I guess since I had already done gymnastics before and track and field, I think I was like maybe well-coordinated or athletic compared to other kids. Um, so I think he kind of discovered that I had some talent um, and invited me to his group. And then I actually joined this group and yeah, ever since uh, climb almost every day. <laughs> were, were your parents climbers? No, they weren't climbers. Um, we were actually living in Dortmund, which is like a um, city far from the German mountains and like pretty flat, actually close to the Netherlands. Um, so my parents both did sports, but none of them climbed before. Well, this is interesting that you said you have a, a, a gymnastics background because that's something that, as you know, you know, we would see that in a number of the highest level World Cup athletes that they would they came from gymnastics and then they transitioned to climbing. Um, so for your own personal experience, were there aspects of gymnastics that you were able to kind of translate right away into climbing? Yeah, I think it translates very well. Like it's so, so such a coordinative sport. And, um, I think especially for children gives you such a good like basis for like also the, um, physical basis and, yeah, the, like the feeling for um, complex movement is like, I think pretty good in children who do gymnastics. So I think that translated very well. It, and I, it seems like you maybe maintained that interest in some of the gymnastics as your World Cup career went on, because I know at one point they showed you exercising with rings and stuff like that, which is obviously very gymnastics and not something that every competitor trains with. Yeah, yeah, and I still enjoy that. I mean, I don't know. I just like 
comf complex movements, I think, and I like um, you know coordination challenges and stuff like that. And I always enjoy like when the bordering scene became more like new school, <laughs> what it was called at, uh, like back then, and like there were run and jumps and yeah, I don't know, not only like that were like about pure physical strength. I actually very much enjoyed that because maybe then it also came closer to gymnastics where I actually came from. Um, so yeah, I think it always stayed with me and maybe for gymnastic, gymnastics or becoming good at gymnastics, I wouldn't have been like perfectionist enough. Mm. Um, like, yeah, I, I think the like climbing sport or especially bouldering is like way like freer I'd say um, and way less perfectionist so yeah I think that suited me very well <laughs> it, it's interesting you said you were kind of the perfectionist because I read though that at the time when you first started climbing you you weren't competitive that's what you had you had said in an in an interview that you, you didn't have that competitive fire but maybe it was that perfectionism that was making you kind of want to improve and get better at it um, um yeah, I, I mean, I also in gymnastics, I had already done um, competitions as well. And then I did track and field for a bit and also did um, competitions there. And I think like the um, kids group I trained with, like when I started climbing, um, everyone there trained for comps as well. And so I know it was just natural to me to do comps as well and climbing then. Um, and yeah, I also enjoyed that from the beginning because yeah, I don't know. It gives you such a clear goal. And that's maybe also nice as a young athlete, I think. Yeah, well, it seems like you did move into the competitive aspect pretty quickly because I, I read that your first competition, you were 12 years old. It was a local German competition. And then mm -hmm. it just kind of evolved from there. You were doing larger level stuff. And I was thinking, wow, that's pretty, like, that's only two years. Um, you know, that's a pretty quick progression uh so you must have yeah i guess what i'm trying to say is you must have or the people around you must have noticed that you were really particularly good at this right away <laughs> i don't know <laughs> um, but yeah i uh, started competing maybe even earlier than that i don't know there were like local kids cups and stuff like that that i also did maybe when i was 11 years old i don't know or 12 I don't remember exactly. Um, and then, yeah, as you said, I kind of grew into it and the level became bigger and bigger. And then I just like got into the regional team and then the national team and um, started doing international youth comps and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, I think I was lucky that um, people saw like coaches around me and other people um, supported me and saw my talent. And yeah, that helped a lot, I think. <laughs> and your first, I think you're a first adult uh, World Cup was PERS in 2006. Yeah. yeah. And it was, it was lead climbing. Yeah. That um, was a bit traumatizing. Yeah. Why, why is that? Um, well, I was like, um, like my best friend um, and I, we were both like on the German youth climbing team together um, and doing like European youth cups and youth world championships. And then we both did our first adult World Cup there. And we were both very afraid of becoming last. <laughs> And then I think we became like third to last and fourth to last or something. And uh, I, I don't know if at the time there were like two qualification routes, but I only remember one. And I think I fell at the third quick, quick draw. So 
<laughs> I was like, oh my god. <laughs> did <laughs> your nerves? Play, the news comes. <laughs> well, did your nerve nervousness play into it, or was it just that the climbing route was really hard? Yeah, I, I think both together. Um, I think it's like probably for many people who like uh, young athletes, especially who switch from like youth comps to um, adult comps, that you find yourself in like isolation with all these like stars you only knew. Like back then there was no Instagram stuff. So I knew them from like climbing magazines and uh, I don't know, knew their pictures and now they were like warming up with me and I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> and then, yeah, I think the routes were way harder than on youth cups, but yeah. Who were some of the people then back then that you were looking up to as, as the icons kind of on the competitive scene, either just on the German team or also from, from other countries? Mm. Well, on the German team, I think we didn't actually overlap, but I very much looked up to Marietta Uden and Damaris Knorr. They were both like um, always winning um, German cups in the adults category. Um, and internationally, uh, like all these Slovenian climbers like uh, Maya Wittmer and Natalia Grossmann. And yeah, it was like very much impressed by them. And Muriel Zakhani, the Belgian climber, was very strong with them. You must have you must have liked it though, right? Uh, I mean, as much as you were nervous and everything, um, you must have enjoyed it enough to to say, yeah, I want to keep doing this World Cup thing, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Must have... I think if there wouldn't have been bouldering, then I maybe would have stopped after high school. Um, but like, cause the first couple of years um, competing in the World Cup, I did like lead World Cups. And then um, at the same time, I think uh, when I finished high school, I kind of switched to bouldering and yeah, that was <laughs> more of my thing. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna ask you about that. You So you were, I think around 18 years old, you made this, the commitment fully to bouldering. You joined the national bouldering team yeah like what went into that decision what was you know what was it about bouldering that you liked more than lead climbing and your cho your choice to focus on exclusively bouldering mm -hmm. so i think um many things came into place at once like um one was that in lead climbing i never actually uh, i never saw myself making finals regularly i always felt like yeah i'm never gonna get that's uh, maybe I don't have the like, I don't know, endurance talent or whatever to actually uh, make it that far in deep climbing. And then um, in one season, I tried like one bordering World, World Cup in Vienna. And or maybe I tried a couple of ones, but <laughs> I only remember one where I um, made finals and placed fourth. And that was actually quite an eye-opening moment for me. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, actually, <laughs> you might uh, be able to achieve like world-class level in <laughs> but maybe rather bordering than deep climbing. Um, and yeah, and then I actually um, trained a bunch with the German bordering team and also thought like, oh, maybe actually these people are more <laughs> my people, because <laughs> uh, the training was also very different. Um, and yeah, then I discussed it with my coach and but back then actually um, many people since like bordering wasn't that popular like I feel like nowadays it's maybe the same bordering uh, and lead climbing or maybe bordering is even more popular I don't know um, but back then lead climbing was like 
at least in Germany, the ultimate climbing discipline and bouldering was more like this side event. <laughs> mm -hmm. So there were lots of people around me who were like, you sure you want to switch to bouldering <laughs> to this weird like side sport in a side sport? <laughs> You really like the, the, it's interesting you say the, the training too, because I know that that at that time, kind of, I, I remember like watching the YouTube videos that Udo Noman was putting out because he put out this series of unique training videos. And there was kind of this almost like viral video aspect to it where you're kind of like, wow, look at the training that this German team is, is doing. Uh, it was just so unique and innovative, especially with the, the parkour style that was kind of, like you said, starting to kind of come into bouldering more and more. <laughs> yeah. So um, basically the year, I think I switched to bouldering, Udo also became national coach. Um, and like, at least from my side, um, we very much liked each other and that's like a very good, I don't know, um, communication wave or the same communication wave. Um, and I, always like very much enjoyed um training with him because he was or and is like so creative and um like very much enjoyed how the training was so different from lead climbing where we, where we only climbed like tens and hundreds of routes every time and actually felt like it was a bit boring or maybe also because i didn't progress so much on it and then when Udo came and we were like all of a sudden jumping around on gymnastic balls and you know, doing all these gymnastic um, movements as well and parkour stuff and slacklining and I don't know, I felt very much more at home in like that kind of training. Was there anybody that maybe didn't respond as well to that? Because I would imagine the opposite of somebody like you being very receptive to that is somebody that did come from a little more traditional training where like, yeah, let's do circuits and 25 up and down and up and down that I could see people maybe not being as comfortable or, or open to that as well. Yeah, absolutely. We had like over the years, we trained together. Um, also as a German team, we often had like huge discussions and um, about how we should train, if we should involve more physical training. And um, as you said, there were also, um, people on the team who were more like, no, we have to do more like pull-up based training and more hangboarding and stuff like that, which uh, we actually never did with Udo. He was also like, he was always like, yeah, you, this is the base and you, um, I expect you to do this on your own, but you don't need me for this. Um, and with me, we are doing these challenges. So yeah, as you said, I was very receptive for it, but there were also people who didn't like it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, especially to do that, such unique training at the world cup level seems it, that just accentuates how, how surprising it was. Right. Because you think if you want to really totally turn training up on its end and do something totally outside the box, maybe you don't start with like the world cup athletes, right? Maybe you start with like the, like just a youth, like a gym team and you see, okay, yeah, they're with this, they're receptive to it. Now maybe we could do a larger squad, but it's just interesting that just yeah. speaks to, to Udo's um, vision, I guess, mm -hmm. that he mm -hmm. tried it at the but, highest level. Yeah. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, I think um, if you really want to like become better than everyone else, then I think you maybe have to do something different as well. I mean, you can also do like pull-ups like everyone else, but if you want to, um, yeah, I don't know, become better than everyone else, then you should maybe also do something else. <laughs> 
can you recall any of the really unique, I mean, you said slacklining and some of the other stuff. Can you recall any of the really specific trainings that maybe the first time Udo was explaining it to you, you were just kind of like, wow, this is, this is really different. <laughs> I think it was almost every training he came along with, like, <laughs> I don't know, weird equipment and balls and we're juggling on the wall and jumping around and uh, like, very often it was very far from climbing and I guess mm, we were just also very lucky with the timing back then because uh, it was just the moment when like bouldering turned from being very physical and maybe I know more like moonboard climbing or whatever um, into this like very um, more parkour um, style bouldering and that was exactly the time when we started to train with Udo and did all these I don't know uh, coordination things um so yeah you said that um it was obviously a little bit of a different era because bouldering was not yet quite the big thing that it would become mm -hmm. and it also i think it was a little bit different era because it was kind of like pre-olympic hype for the mm -hmm. ifsc and for the world cups and all of that um so i'm sure that there were some differences a little bit or maybe in large part compared to what the circuit was like back then to what it's like nowadays. Can you just paint kind of a broad picture of what it was like on the world cup circuit, just the training, obviously, but then the travel and just the camaraderie mm -hmm. and the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Well, um, it's a little hard for me to compare to now because now I only know it from watching um, live streams and um, talking to some athletes maybe. Um, but I think what was very unique back then was, that we weren't all such pros, I'd say, that everything was a little improvised and um, all the comms were a little bit makeshift organized, I'd say, and there were like comms, uh, I don't know, in circus tents and um, every once in a while there was like a comp in a huge stadium and I was like, oh my God, this is how the future is gonna look like. But, uh, so many comps, I don't know, there were comps where they didn't have mats um, when the comp was supposed to start um, or where the holes weren't there or I don't know. Um, so I think, and also our training was like, the funding was like so much less back then that everything was very less professional as well. But that forced us to be more creative, I think. There, there are some interesting videos of the German team from back then, um, and it does seem like it was a pretty close-knit group, um, but like you said, just it was at a more of a grassroots level. Like, I think there's video of all of you kind of just stretching, doing yoga-type stuff, just kind of like on the balcony of a hotel or whatever. It's just mm -hmm. like kind of wherever you can fit in the training and when it, wherever you can find the space to do something. Um, so it does it does seem like, yeah, it was maybe a, a, an era before now where everything is so big and so grand. Mm -hmm. um, was there an, like a nice quality to that though? Yeah, I mean, I very much enjoyed that because that also left more room for creativity and for like exploring, how, like I think back then we knew way less about how one could get strong. We were like, especially in bouldering, because the comp scene was like evolving so much. Um, 
and there wasn't like the recipe on how to get strong fingers or uh, way less than today um, or how to become a world-class boulderer and I know that was also kind of a nice thing because we could try around so much. <laughs> well it's it's also it's kind of like it seems like just like you started to have success early when you were really young it seems like shortly after you joined the bouldering team you kind of started to have success as well and there were a number of podiums like I wrote down you in 2010 you had a bronze medal in in Vail and then in 2011 a bronze and then a, a silver in Munich in your you know your home country and and then bronze in in Munich again and a bronze in Vail in 2012 so it it feels like like right around the 2012-2013 season it really feels like that's when the training and just the competitive drive was all really coming together for you is that how you kind of think back on that period and your development yeah definitely um yeah especially during the first years you just mentioned um or at least for me i had to get used so much to the like this mental game of like the pressure in finals and also the pressure in semifinals, which I always felt like was the hugest, uh, at least for me. Um, and I think during these years, I kind of got comfortable in that, in the pressure and the success and the like dealing with failures as well. And yeah, and I even felt like around this 2013 season I was like plateauing a little I had a little bit of a crisis in that season um, but yeah until then I also felt like it was almost like a linear um, thing I'm gonna write down the crisis because I want to come back to that of the price the crisis of 2013 um, but before that like yeah 2012 like what what was your secret to the mental game, I guess, like, was it just, did it just come with time or did you read books or did you, was it a conversation? Was it stuff that like you were being coached to your mental game? What, what kind of helped you in that period to improve your mental, the mental aspect? Mm, yeah, many things. I think, I think for one, just getting used to it and just putting yourself out there and like experiences, experience the successes and failures. Um, and then during, I think when I was around like 18, 19, um, I also worked with a psychologist for a half a year or so. Mm -hmm. And she taught me some techniques and like mental training techniques. And that was also quite helpful, especially at the, this young age, I thought. Um, and then what I think was like pretty crucial for me, especially like in the later years of um, my competing, uh, was that I also started studying in par parallel um, and that I wasn't like so focused on uh, climbing and that I felt like my you know identity wasn't like so tied to my climbing results but I, I like whenever a comp didn't go so well I was like yeah but then doesn't matter I still um, go to med school and I'm having this other part of my life and um even if I stop competing now, then I still have this. And um, I think that was important for me because um, it didn't put so much pressure on the competition thing. That's, that's unique, right? Like that's, I feel like a lot of competitors go the other way where they, their goal is to 
to get to a point where they can just do climbing and focus mm-hmm. on competing all the time. And, and anything else is kind of these, these distract, whether it's studying or whether it's, they also have to maybe work at a climbing gym or whatever. And it's like, their goal is to just be able to mm-hmm. drop all that stuff eventually and only compete, mm-hmm. but you went the yeah. opposite direction. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I started uh, studying in 2012. And then after the 2013 season, I took one semester off um, because I also thought, oh, yeah, now I'm going to focus on climbing and then this is going to be great. And, uh, and it actually was my most successful season then. But I like mentally, it was so taxing for me to um, know that uh, like I was always telling myself, you only think the only thing you're doing right now is climbing. How can you not even make finals, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> And when I had studying aside, um, the pressure was way less. So I think I kind of even needed that. And did your interest in in medicine evolve from being a part of the competition scene and just like exercise and and all of that? Or was was it separate? Um, Yeah, I definitely had um, something to do with like, I don't know, the physiology of training and that always, I always had some interest in that. and then in the end of high school, I very much liked biology actually. And at the same time, my best friend um, who also um, was on the German youth team before um, and with whom I did my first lead world cup, um, she actually then started med school because um, she was a year ahead of me. And then uh, she kept talking about it to me. And then I was like, I don't know, that felt like that interested me so much as well. That, also applied for med school. <laughs> Can you say her her name, or is would you prefer to keep it private? No, I don't think so. Luisa Neumerka. Okay, <laughs> kind of besties. <laughs> oh, good. Um, well, okay. So this all kind of leads to the 2013 season, which it's funny that you say it was a crisis because I was thinking, like, here I was like, this is the this legendary season for for you um, for reasons that we will get into, but. I, for starters, yeah, I'd, I'd be curious to hear about the, the crisis. <laughs> yeah, so um, the as I said, in 2012, I started med school. Um, so this was like my second season where I had like um, med school and um, the climbing cops in parallel. Um, and I think it was the first year where at least until the um, Innsbruck comp, I didn't feel any progress. I felt like, yeah, so now... I know I can do finals and whenever I'm like very lucky, I can do podiums, but actually I felt like I was plateauing a little bit Hmm. and I kind of felt like, yeah, now you're, this is maybe what you can reach in climbing or in um, comms. And I thought like, yeah, I kind of hit the ceiling here. (laughs) So that's where my crisis came from. What was your, at the beginning of the season, like what was your, what were the goals that you had kind of set out for yourself for that season? Mm, I guess I was dreaming about making podiums in a more stable manner. Like, yeah. But then I was like, sometimes making finals and I don't know if maybe I didn't make any podium other than in Innsbruck. I don't remember. Um, but yeah, I was like, oh, actually maybe you've seen it. The comp thing. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, the 2013 season, this is such, it's such a fascinating story, um, I think, because um, just for all that was going on in it with Anna Storr and her results, and she was 
going for this streak, right, to try to win every comp that season. Your own personal results, you start in Chongqing, Chongqing, the first comp of that 2013 season, you, you barely missed finals. You were at seventh place. Do you have any memories of the, the China World Cup to start that season? Mm, I can only remember like one boulder from semifinals. So as I said before, um, like semifinals was like the most stressful round for me always. Um, and I only remember one boulder that was like super physical and that kind of stuck to my mind because um, I felt like so weak on it. <laughs> and uh, like, since this was the first comp, like I, I was always like, um, yeah, this is the test of the season. And now because the whole winter you're training and then you're, this is the first comp and you can show how the training went actually, or uh, basically. Um, and then this one physical boulder where I felt so weak. I was like, oh no, this, I did this whole winter training and now I'm feeling weak here. Um, so yeah, this was a bit frustrating. And I mean, becoming seventh is, is very frustrating. Yeah, right on the, on, the, on the bubble there. But the next competition, which was in Mio, France, you mm -hmm. made finals, you, got, you ended up in fifth place. So mm -hmm. there was a, a little bit of improvement and you were kind of on your way to those goals of maybe like making mm -hmm. more finals and stuff. So it feels like Mio was really, uh, I mean, it was a, a step, a step up for you. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely a step up. And I was like back then always so happy about making finals and competing in finals. Um, but I think it was also the season where I started to like get used to making finals or expecting, expecting it so much. Like the seasons before I was like always, I know everything was still so exciting and uh, I was like yeah I can make finals on a world cup and I mean it's normal I think then at some point you get used to it and then you're uh, and then I think I placed fifth yeah fifth. um uh, and then I was like maybe oh why didn't I make podiums <laughs> so yeah yeah they're like pot like I think I would imagine there are different positives. Like it's okay. Okay. It's good. I, I made yeah. finals. Like that's a success, mm -hmm. but then yeah. there's the next goal of like, I want to get podium. Right. And mm -hmm. then if you yeah. get on the podium, there's the next goal of, well, I want to win it. Right. So it's kind of yeah, like, yeah. You keep... yeah. And over the years, like, I think that's also normally you're readjusting your expectations so much, like two years before I would have been so happy about making fifth um, or ending up fifth in a world cup final. But in this season, I was always like, already like, ah, <laughs> yeah sure because especially in the the couple previous seasons right like we said like mm -hmm. you had made some you'd earned some bronze multiple bronze medals multiple silver medals so you knew that you were capable of of getting yeah. on the on the podium um yeah. and then kitzbühel happens you're you it's 11th do you remember anything about that that event <laughs> uh, um just before the interview i was trying to think about it but uh didn't watch any videos but i don't remember anything from that comp <laughs> might have deleted it from my memory <laughs> no that's that's fine because it's interesting because then next happened low dragomer happens yeah, I remember um, that very well. <laughs> 30 31st place right so it's yeah. and which obviously was not up to your your like personal standards but i also kind of wonder if maybe the fact that you did place that low kind of helped you in the long run with Innsbruck lying lying ahead because it was kind of like well 
like, what do I have to lose? Right. Like mm-hmm. I got 31st. So I, I, I wonder if there's a silver lining to that 31st place. Yeah. I, I'm also quite convinced that it played this bad placement, <laughs> played a role. Uh, actually after, right after Log Dragomer, um, I actually didn't want to participate in Innsbruck. <laughs> I told everyone that I'm not going to do Innsbruck and that I'm going to skip a comp because I have to train because I'm like, so weak. Um, and then, I don't know, I think there was back to bed, back uh, World Cups, like um, right the next weekend was Innsbruck. And then I think on Wednesday or so, I decided that I'm going to go to Innsbruck as well. But I was very close to not going there. So you weren't just saying that, you were serious about, you wanted to mm-hmm. skip that competition. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. Oh, this is, that's really interesting that it was so close to not, mm-hmm. not yeah. happening because it ended up being so historic. <laughs> well okay so Innsbruck happens and I've, I've watched your that that final round a couple times what's interesting to me I think one of the interesting things is that there is a steady rise to your performance you were at the beginning at the qualification round there were there were a bunch of women that were tied in fourth place and then in the semifinals you it was just rock and roll you had like three flashes in the semifinals um and you're up you you work up into third place so i'm wondering before the final round even begins you had to have felt like pretty certainly good glad that you participated right (laughs) yeah definitely and yeah i think i just like felt very relieved the whole comp maybe um and very like not stressed and Uh, very relaxed and I remember that the whole comp I don't remember the single boulders from the um, qualifications or semi-finals but I remember that the whole comp felt very like I was in a flow state somewhat Mm. Um, the four final boulders um I I don't know how vivid they are in your memory but I wrote down like brief descriptions of them so if you have any memories of them um, I just rewatched it oh great okay perfect (laughs) the first boulder it's it's like this jump up to a, a pair of slopers, pretty dynamic start, uh, and then it, and then it kind of goes up from there, and you and you flashed it. Uh, can't cannot start a, a round any better than that. What do you yeah. remember about the first the first boulder? Yeah, so I remember that it started perfectly, and actually that it felt so like sometimes it just feels so easy, and I felt so like strong and light and everything. And uh, my whole climbing felt um, kind of perfect on that border, actually. Mm. And yeah, I remember how happy I was about that. <laughs> and then it continues. The second boulder is that it's it's like a slab. There's kind of this side jump to a, to like a little, little edge or like a little nugget. And you flash that as well. So what do you remember about you're halfway through the round now and you have flashes well um i remember that i always liked um these kind of boulders like i always liked um slabs because for some reasons i was always good on slabs and then especially a slab where you have to jump uh sideways i mean nowadays this um boulder (laughs) would be peanuts but back then it was like we weren't so used to uh, jumping on volumes and sideways and so um yeah it was actually a very excited about this boulder too <laughs> and then comes the third boulder uh it's just like a pretty 
it's a steep overhang and it's got these orange prism shaped volumes. Uh, and you, I think you flashed to zone. Um, and then you, but it took two attempts to top it. If I remember correctly, um, did that mess with you at all that you, I mean, up until now you would flash and flash. So even though, <laughs> even though like, obviously like two attempts is still fantastic. If your standard up to then is flashing, Mm. Was there any moment of like, oh no, like, ah, what's happening? <laughs> no, I mean, uh, I think I like, especially since this year, Anna was like so over the top of everything. Everyone, including me, expected Anna to win everything. So I didn't enter this round thinking, yeah, I'm going to win this year. <laughs> I was more like, yeah, Anna's going to win and <laughs> the rest of us will see. <laughs> So, I mean, I was already very happy about um, doing so well on the first two borders and then uh, everything that um, was left was more like an icing of the cake or something, I don't know. Um, yeah, so, um, and I always liked these, I think I was very lucky with this round because it suited me very, very well, um, like the kinds of borders and the order of the borders. Um, and I always liked these um, triangle volume borders that were also still new at the time mm -hmm. sure and 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 then it it finishes it's kind of perfect that the round finishes with another flash because i think that ju that just epitomizes the maybe the flow state that you said that you were in for for the whole round uh the fourth boulder is it's kind of an overhang or it's sort of convex i guess it's kind of it starts overhang and then it kind of goes up the other direction um it's big yellowish green pyramids and you you cruise up it and it's it's interesting like your your celebration like you get up there and you just kind of like pump your fist i guess when did it sink in that you had that you had won um the event um i think that moment because yeah um or maybe even I, I think i knew before that if i'd flashed this boulder i'd win mm -hmm. um so it like sitting back in the isolation, it stressed me, stressed me very much because um, I knew that it was my least favorite boulder of the round because like I was very afraid of this crossing move and like I didn't like crimp boulders so much at the time and was like maybe the most physical boulder. But then also I knew that um, it already had seen a sense. So I was like, yeah, actually if other <laughs> girls can do it, maybe I can also do it. Um, but I also knew that if I flash it, I'd win. So um, yeah, I think it was, I don't know, felt all the emotions when I matched the top hold. Yeah, now that you look back on it, the 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 win, um, like what place does it occupy in your mind? Like where do you, just the emotion of it, the feeling of the excitement of winning, the, the joy of, of finally getting the gold medal after several years of, of you know, silver and bronze, what did it what did it mean to you i guess mm, it, it meant uh, the world to me back then yeah, especially after this for me disastrous weekend before and uh, having this little bit of a crisis and then um and also just being in finals with like anna and melissa whom i um was like close friends with um and were like competing um almost every weekend together um, and then winning actually with them there as well was like so perfect. And um, 
I think without having won this comp, it might have been possible that I would have stopped competing the next year. Um, but actually that even motivated me, as I said before, to um, take one semester off from uh, med school and take a pause. And that actually um, led to my best season um, uh, in the following year. Yeah, that's that's incredible to hear. We like you if you had walked away there, you wouldn't have won the the world's uh, yeah. world championship. Yeah. That would have been, yeah. wow, that's, that would have been huge. That's a, that's really <laughs> incredible to think about. What was your relationship like with Anna Storr on the circuit? Because I, I'm fascinated by this because at the time, since Anna was going for that season streak and you were the person who, who ended the streak, right? So it's, it's, just by the nature of that, there is automatically this kind of like antagonist protagonist, right? Like you, you sort of stole the streak from her, right? Um, mm -hmm. But I don't get the sense at all that the two of you are, are like at odds. If anything, it seems like the opposite. I, I know that you've shared sponsors in the past and you were both in the, the um, outside the box film um and whatnot so it's interesting that they're, they're just by watching there was kind of this narrative of wow julie verm is you know she's she's beaten on a store but i feel like maybe you two are like really great friends behind the scenes yeah no we were uh, very great friends um through the um travels that we did together like um this um um since we were on the mammoth um, team together we always had these uh, mammoth team trips and um, also on the comms, uh, we often travel together and train together and um, we were a little bit of a friend group with um, Melissa Lenevé together and um, often train together or even went on holidays also after we <laughs> um, all competed. Um, and even now we're still, I mean, it became uh, less and less, uh, but we are still in contact and um, a couple of months ago, I had a um, video call, which was very nice. And yeah, uh, I, I mean, she was one of my best friends um, back then. And I, I don't know, to me, it wasn't so much of a rivalry because Anna was like in a league of her own. And I, I don't know, I never asked her if it bothered her a lot that I stole this <laughs> streak from her. Um, but uh, I could imagine that <laughs> she was also very happy about winning seven out of eight World Cups. <laughs> right. Yeah. She came and, but that's like, that's what kind of adds to it. Right. It's like, she came so close Yeah. and, yeah. and yet the person you were the person that, that didn't, but it's good to hear that you were, you know, friends and stuff, because that's what it certainly seems that way. But just yeah. by nature of the story, I think yeah. there's this natural sense of like, Oh, well, look what happened here because of, <laughs> because of, because of you. So that's good to hear that you're, you're still, you know, close to her and whatnot. I want to ask you about the world championships, but maybe that like, maybe that'll be for a different episode because that's like a whole other topic. <laughs> like you said, like that's your best season and, and, and everything. Um, but I am curious about your sort of transition out of the world cup scene. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's really interesting that you chose to retire from the world cup scene um, a, a year after winning world championships, which is, I mean, you're, you, you know, you're still in your world cup prime at that time. Mm. Um, and I know I've read that you wanted to focus on your studies, which you've 
kind of alluded to, you wanted to maybe climb outside more real rock um, and maybe get into some coaching and stuff. So you had a lot of other life goals. Um, was it, was it a hard decision to make to leave the world cup circuit? Mm, yeah, I think it was a hard decision to make, but also um, at the time it felt very logical to me, even though no one else kind of understood it. <laughs> I felt like uh, to me, like to myself, I felt like, yeah, so um, I've reached all my goals here and I traveled a lot. And at the same time, though, I reached a state where I felt like now it starts to feel the same over and over again. And um, uh, you always have this training winter and then you have this comp, comp summer and you're traveling around all the time. And I just felt like it became a bit monotonous. And mm -hmm. um, I don't know, I guess also through seeing all my friends in school who like did like such different things and um, lived such different lives. I was like, oh, I <laughs> also want to do what they are doing. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think there were just so many other things in life that I wanted to discover that I felt like I've done this comp thing for so many years that uh, I can happily stop it then. <laughs> Did anybody try to talk you out of it to, to, to say like, no, don't, don't leave. Like you should stay, do it, do it for another year or two years or five years or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so the, um, there were people from the German Federation who uh, tried to convince me to do it one more season or to do a couple more comps. And, but I was like, nah, no, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Once you had even kind of thought about life after the world cup circuit i feel like it would have been hard maybe maybe i don't know but maybe hard to like you can't force that mental game right so it's like yeah. once you're mentally moved on from it even if somebody mm -hmm. convinces you to stay i think I, I i feel like that that could really be challenging mentally if you're not all invested in wanting to be there yeah absolutely i had made so many plans and uh, I don't know, wanted to live the studying life and wanted to travel around for like rock, rock climbing, but not only always like putting it in between comps and only having three days here and there. And I don't know, um, yeah, that I was like very convinced and yeah, no one succeeded to <laughs> convince me otherwise. <laughs> well, and, and when you looked back then, and also now when you look back on your World Cup career and, and all these phenomenal things that you accomplished on the circuit what were the biggest keys to to your success I guess for lack of a better way to frame that like what what are the biggest things that you think led to world championship world cup gold all that stuff mm, well I think I was like um oftentimes lucky about um the timing about like how my talents matched um, the how the boulders were set at the time. Um, I think that's that was maybe the same case for Anna, for example. I don't know. Um, I think we very well fit into this uh, period of uh, bouldering, and that very much matched our style. And then I think even the bigger role played the people I was surrounded with, who like always supported me so much and inspired me so much like uh, Udo for example or um, other people from the German climbing team and yeah I think that was very crucial. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about your life after the comp scene like what I, I, I know um, from Instagram that you had 
you studied in the United States um, and, and you also had a, a really bad um, injury too yeah. after the World Cup circuit with, with like pins and stuff in, in your arm. Yeah. And um, so it certainly seems like your post World Cup career was eventful um, to say the least. And then, <laughs> and then on top of that, it led to, to being a, you know, being a doctor, which is eventful in its own right. So I would just love to hear of kind of like your, your last few years. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I stopped competing in 2015. Um, and then, um, like in the beginning, I focused very much on, um, med school and, um, and I'll just spend way more time with like my friends from school and also other friends from climbing and I think that was actually the time where I learned to become more social or like a more normal social person because I know uh, it's like this um, even though we were social on the um, com climbing scene as you just mentioned it's like a little bit of a different social than what other people <laughs> would call it I think um, and I think I learned that during uh, the past years actually um, and yeah then I uh, finished med school and climbed outdoors quite a lot um, but like friends from um, home in Germany but also friends from all over the world um, and then in 2017 to 18 um, I spent a year in the U.S. for my like in Germany um, you can do a medical thesis to get the doctorate otherwise you're just a medical doctor but you don't have a doctorate um, it's a weird thing but if you do um, research and that's what I did in the United States um, then you get this doctorate um, yeah, so I um, was in a like very cool um, lab um, in Boston and Harvard and um, did some neuroscience research there and got to know like some amazing climbers and like science people and yeah, um, but also broke my arm there <laughs> and my foot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I know that from Instagram also, that was a really long recovery process um, yeah. because I remember following your Instagram and seeing like, oh, she's got, you know, the cast on and then it's like, oh, the cast is off. But she's I, I think I remember actually like your your first Instagram post at, like when you were actually you, you were like climbing and after your injury. And I was so I was so happy because I was just like, oh, like you're able to you're able to climb again like as small as that seems like I know that because the injury was so big um I was just really excited to, to have you back <laughs> on the wall I'm sure you were um, too obviously yeah yeah I mean uh I, I think like when I had this first injury and I broke my ankle I felt like yeah this kind of I mean of course it sucked a lot but I felt like yeah at least this happens now I'm not doing comps anymore uh, it doesn't matter so much if I take a like two or three months break and um, I'm still having a good time here and uh, can focus on the research even more um, but then just when the foot recovered <laughs> I had a bad fall in the climbing gym and um, uh, broke my arm and it was like half a year later I think and that <laughs> I was very um, disappointed about that and Oh, that was like so such an annoying recovery because I had the surgery with um, plates um, on both bones in the uh, forearm and yeah I mean I still have the plates in there um, but and now they don't bother me anymore but back then it was like a hard time. 
can I ask too, what, what led into your decision to, to study in America? Did, was that the only country option or was there something about the US that, that intrigued mm. you? Um, so I knew that I wanted to do research here because I um, was always very interested in research in med school and wanted to, I don't know, just take a year off and do some research. Um, and then I, um, I had saved so much money that I thought I'd have the privilege to go also go somewhere else. Because um, like lots of students um, don't have, um, they are always like <laughs> low on money and mm -hmm. uh, have to save and uh, just quickly finish their studies. But I um, was lucky that through all the competition, I had saved some money and I was like, yeah, I'm, uh, I've earned this myself. <laughs> now I'm going to go to the US and have a good year there. Um, yeah, and then I applied for a couple um, labs in the US and was lucky to find one. Um, and yeah, then I just went there. <laughs> Boston is not the cheapest city. Uh, yeah. <laughs> save money. You, go, you can go through money pretty quickly uh, in the Northeast. Yeah, I did so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Harvard and Boston. And then, of course, you're close to New York City there. And those are, yeah, yeah, yeah. those are, those, those will go through your savings very fast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, money earning after that year. <laughs> right, right, but you now you are a, a, a practicing doctor in Germany. Mm, so um, I finished med school two years ago. Um, and then I was still actually fascinated by research um, and started working um, in research as well at a, a like public health institute in Germany, um, which is called Robert Koch Institute. Um, and I'm working on different COVID studies there um, and started a um, public health master's in parallel. And But now I'm actually thinking about maybe going into the hospital soon and maybe mm. starting to work in pediatrics, but not sure yet. <laughs> wow, that's exciting. Yeah. Really cool. Do you, do you still watch the World Cups uh, regularly? Yeah, uh, so... I don't watch all of them because <laughs> this um, VPN and all of this um, oh, yeah, yeah, created yeah. some barrier for me. <laughs> um, but every now and then I uh, still watch World Cups. Yeah, do you I miss think every it? second maybe about. Do, do you miss? Do you miss it sometimes when you watch it? Mm, I, I mean, yeah, I miss the like extreme kind of emotions you get there. I think. I, never got that anywhere else in life like I don't know this pressure that you feel and the um, disappointment but also the insane happiness that comes with I don't know topping a boulder in front of I don't know how many thousand people and making a podium thereby or uh, even winning a comp that's especially after like all this training and all this pressure this that's such a relieving and the feelings that you get in competition sports are just extreme, I think. And I sometimes miss that a little bit. It's, it's interesting, though, that you had um, sort of the, the like desire and, and the like a little bit of the courage to, to walk away rather than try to continue f forever, like trying to chase that happiness. Mm -hmm. Right. That You said it's like the it's the it's the biggest thing. And I could see why that would be um pretty enticing to people to want to stay on the circuit mm -hmm. forever maybe even in, when they're past their prime just to like at one more chance at that mm -hmm. that ultimate happiness 
Mm. You know. Yeah. Maybe a question of um, personality, or I, I don't know. I would consider it even more courageous to um, keep doing it, like after having been successful and uh, keeping to um, do it again and again and again. And um, when I see people nowadays who um, competed with me and who were successful at the time when I competed, but who are still there, I'm like, whoa, this is so impressive. They are still doing this. And well, <laughs> I don't know. I, I couldn't do it, but I'm impressed by them. <laughs> but you're, it's, it's, it's fun to see on Instagram that you're still, you still have climbing still occupies a, a, obviously a really large place in your life. It's just evolved yeah. to, um, a, you know, a different space with outdoor and, and obviously having to fit it into your career when you can climb and stuff like that. But I know that from the pictures that you post and the videos that climbing is still something you really love. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, it's the, such a great passion for me and I mm, climb not every day but I think three or four times a week and as often as I can um, climb outside on the weekends um, so yeah it's just a little more aimless I just do it for the joy of it better place to end it than right there with the joy of climbing wherever you can find it whether it's on a rock or on a competition wall whether it's from winning a gold medal or from just cheering on someone else whether it's during a world cup career or maybe it's during a post world cup career or maybe just in a pair of headphones on a podcast, hanging out, celebrating podiums of the past. Thanks for listening. See you soon for another episode. Real quick before we get out of here, thanks again for listening. Thanks again to Eula Verm for sharing some memories. Thanks to Audio Coffee, Music Town, and Julius H. for doing the music. And thanks to issue number one of The Circuit Magazine, which provided a lot of great foundational info for this episode. If you'd like to go back and watch all the great high points of Eula Verm's career, various rounds can be found on the International Federation of Sport Climbing's YouTube channel. See you next time.